This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Astronomy Cast, episode 346, Area 51. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Great. How are you enjoying your spring so far? Oh my gosh, it's it's other than being filled with pollen from dogwood trees, which is evil, it's filled with baby birds and baby groundhogs and baby sheep and baby geese. And so basically spring has sprung out with baby critters everywhere. I always forget how vibrant and green it is here on the West Coast, you know, living in a coastal temperate rainforest during the rain part, the warm part. It's just, it's so green and there's flowers everywhere. It's awesome. But yeah, same, same deal, which is the, the allergies where I, for me, the allergies manifest. I just, I just feel dumb. I can't think. I, I, yeah. Friday, I, I, there, there was no thoughts capable and I have to admit I did take allergy medicine. So while I look a bit perkier, hopefully I'll manage to keep the stupid out of astronomy cast. But if, if things are a little bit slower, it's it's the Benadryl haze. Yeah, no guarantees for me. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.8thlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. 8th Light. Software is their craft. So who knows what mysteries lurk at the military's Area 51 complex in Nevada? Conspiracy theorists and UFO chasers think it's a big alien cover-up but it's probably something more boring, like advanced military aircraft. So let's talk about what we know and what we think we know about this infamous military base. So Pamela, you put this one on the list. Um, so you're going to have to put this in context. What? Why did you decide that an episode about Area 51 was appropriate for astronomy cast? I'm all ears. <laughs> Because of all of the test planes that came out of there, as as we start to talk about commercial space more and more, as commercial space starts to get more and more successful, understanding uh, all of these big, uh, essentially dry lake bed test facilities becomes more and more important. And Area 51 has been accused of many things, but the reality is this is just one more place that really awesome spacecraft that probe the top of the atmosphere and get called airplanes uh, have gotten to fly out of. Okay, so so set the stage then. Where where is Area 51? What is it? What does it look like? What's what's the deal? Well, when you look at satellite imagery of it, and and in fact, there's really nice imagery of it in Google Maps, which kind of surprised me and thrilled me simultaneously. It is uh, first and foremost a giant dry lake bed, a great 
one of the salt flats that that's out in Nevada. Um, it's located not too terribly far away from Las Vegas. And in fact, the folks that worked there uh, largely commuted by airplane from either Edwards Air Force Base to uh, Area 51 is often called Groom Lake. Or they flew out of Vegas's uh, McCarran Airport to fly down to Area 51. So you have this great flat, flat, flat nature provided landing area where actually the first people who scouted it out just landed their aircraft on the dry lake bed, realizing this is someplace that we don't even really have to groom. And while it does have one really nice paved landing strip, there there are two landing strips that are basically just painted markings on the, the dry lake bed and should push come to shove, you can just kind of land at whatever angle you feel like it on approach. What creates a feature like this? Because I know uh, there's various, uh, there's a bunch of these around the world, right? And they're just like this ultra flat salt kind of dusty sandy muddy expanse what's you know burning man festival is is done on one of these so what's so what is what creates these kinds of places i mean america dried out in that area it's it's former lake used to be there and it's no longer supported by the geography there's no longer sufficient rain there's no longer sufficient runoff and the neat thing about lakes is because they don't have currents tearing up the bottom of them and uh, if they aren't stream fed they have no reason to not be perfectly flat on the bottom so you have sediment settles out and in the past this region had a lot of salts in it and it still has the salts but it no longer has the salt lakes other than the great salt lake and so you just end up with this beautifully flat bottom of a lake and remove the lake and you're left with this beautifully flat area in the bottom of a small valley. Yeah, it's amazing how how all that sediment has gone down and filled in the bottom of whatever was this geographic feature and then has perfectly smoothed out at the bottom of the lake. And then when the lake was gone, you're left with... You couldn't have asked for a flatter place. The, the best way to think of it is, it, I don't know about you, but out in the barn, we'll periodically leave out a bucket and it will get filled with with mud and everything else. Um, rainwater, dust, pollen all settling in from the atmosphere. And you look at it this time of year and it's this slimy, algae-riddled mess. Come August, it's going to be a quarter inch deep in the bottom with perfectly level grossness but it's going to be dry grossness at that point. right exactly um okay great so they picked this place that was just like the best place to land aircraft yeah and and if and i guess they were like what if we need something that needs an extra long runway just use more lake bed doesn't really matter that that's actually one of the really cool things about this is is it's it's not the only one like it edwards air force base is actually fairly similar in terms of nice dry lake bed essentially and the problem with Edwards that is why they needed Groom Lake, Area 51, is uh, Edwards is kind of in a well-witnessed area. And if you're going to be flying things you don't want anyone seeing, Edwards is out. So when they went searching for a new place, uh, they found someplace that 
from from the air looked a lot like area looked a lot like Edwards in terms of geographic characteristics. And when they put in the biggest landing strip, um, instead of having it dead end into the sagebrush, it dead ends into the lake bed and takes a big loop so that if if for some reason you overshoot the landing strip, you just keep going and take what the pilots call the hook and loop yourself around and sort of leave yourself marooned out in the lake bed. But that's better than being marooned in the sagebrush. Right. And then, as you said, it's fairly private. There's not a lot of good views of the actual facility, and so you won't necessarily be able to see the aircraft landing. Okay, so, so we've got this great facility and so what what has it been been used for historically? Well, it, it first started to get used in 1942 uh, as Indian Springs Air Force Auxiliary Field. Uh, it was just a couple of painted runways. But after World War II and as we started realizing we need spy planes, the real reason that it, it really grew was the U-2 program. And the the U-2s is why I felt okay putting this on our list of things to do, because a U-2 is just short of being a suborbital aircraft. It, it doesn't actually get high enough up that you can call what it does a suborbital flight, but it goes high enough up that uh, you're sufficiently above the atmosphere that stars start to become a possibility. So... When they started building this amazing aircraft, they needed some place that there wouldn't be peering eyes. Um, the U-2s got transported there in all sorts of neat and interesting hidden ways. Uh, some of the assembly took place there. When they were originally test flying them, they'd actually herd all of the staff that didn't have sufficient clearance into the cafeteria so they wouldn't see the takeoffs and landings. Our spy planes is really why Area 51 came into existence. And from the spy planes, it just kind of grew where we had uh, some of the early test aircraft that were used to build towards the modern stealth aircraft uh, flew out of there. There was the A-12 that looks a lot like a flying wedge. Um, There's still, I'm sure, aircraft that haven't been... uh, declassified enough for us to know about them. One of the most frequent rumors was the Aurora spacecraft uh, getting seen. I'm not quite sure how you describe its flight, um, but getting seen doing its not quite normal activity uh, out of Area 51. So what was the Aurora? Um, it, it was another flying wedge technology that looked very much like a, a quintessential UFO. So you have a big flying triangle. Es- essentially, Lockheed found a couple of different ways um, to build up the UFO lore here in the United States. Uh, there is a... Um, very rarely talked about uh, dirigible that is triangle shaped, moves quite slowly, um, and is a heavy lift vehicle that there's been plans published here and there um, that it's fairly clear that some of the triangular sightings that you see specifically in the part of the country I live in, in the St. Louis region, is just this Lockheed built dirigible 
being mistaken for a UFO. And then the Aurora is essentially a scramjet that is shaped like a nice, friendly little isosceles triangle with potentially not so friendly capabilities. And it's never really been declassified, but you do Google searches, you find information about it. All right. So, you know, I'm going to ask this question, yes. which is what's with all the aliens? That actually, if you're going to stick aliens anywhere, I can see why people would imagine sticking them there. Over the decades, America has managed to get its hands on a variety of different international aircraft, not always by the most legal of means. We've gotten various mings from people defecting, uh, most notably during the first Iraqi war during Desert Storm. There was a pilot who, when asked to napalm um, villages, essentially said no. And instead of napalming the Kurds, flew his plane to Israel, uh, defected to America, and that airplane ended up in Area 51. And it's not the only one that's ended up there. Since World War II, when America has acquired foreign technology, that technology has been shipped, flown, whatever means necessary to Area 51, where we actually staged war games with our own pilots flying both on the foreign technology and on the American-made technology to see who's going to win in a dogfight, what are the technological uh, skills that we need to figure out how to combat with our own airplanes, what are the weaknesses we need to learn to take advantage of. So I'm sure there were many rumors of the alien nationals at Area 51. And as you start ending up with rumors of, well, Roswell being an alien crash, as you have uh, all of the abduction rumors running rampant, it suddenly becomes easy to imagine that Area 51, this base so top secret that they fly the staff in and out flying them out of Burbank on Monday and back on Friday or in and out of Las Vegas. It's easy to imagine that someplace that top secret is also going to be where the aliens go to live. The it's inter- where you would take them. I mean, it's if there where were aliens, would. it's absolutely where you would take the yeah. aliens and study them and study their, their fantastic flying machines. And, and there's their- been enough... Uh, I, I fully believe in the strength of America to build weird ass aircraft that are going to get mistaken for this, that and every other manner of UFO. And um, yeah, I wish I mean, that's the thing. I mean, obviously, you, you need to conduct this kind of research, you need to perform these experiments yeah. and you need to do it in a secret manner. But it makes me sad that I don't get to see all of the really interesting ideas and the really cool experiments and the stuff that, you know, that doesn't work so great, but it, it was a really neat idea. Can we make a flying wing? Can we make something, you know, a scramjet? Yeah. Has anyone tried a nuclear-propelled aircraft? All kinds of stuff, right? And you can just imagine all these these wacky experiments. And 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 I'm sure, as you said, a lot of them would end up looking to the average eye like some kind of of alien saucer, especially when you think about some of these, you know, things like some of these vertical takeoff and landing craft with big rotors and and things like and things like that, like even like the Ospreys and things like that, which have these rotors that can go up and down and they can fly forward. Or, you know, and then you take it to the logical conclusion where you look at like 
the Avengers and you've got the shield hover right. carrier, you know? So so that kind of technology you're certain has been has been tested. And and in the nineteen fifties, there was actually a supersonic um saucer shaped plane and it was recently declassified. Um I don't know if it actually flew. It was just one of those things that uh, I remember pictures of it cropping up and I'm now pulling it pulling it up. Um, it was the Avra car. And, and so we created saucer-shaped aircraft. And then when you start looking at drones, drone helicopters do not look like your standard search and, re- search and rescue helicopter. These are multi-rotor, round little things that fly in all sorts of weird ways. And drones, I don't know if those in particular got tested out of Area 51, but the D-21 drone that that launched off of the back of a jet did get flown out of Area 51. And so you can start to imagine farmers, tourists, uh, your Hunter S. Thomas, uh, completely stoned crazies in the desert, driving to Vegas and seeing these low-flying, rather small, circular helicoptery things, but only seeing the lights and mistaking them for extraordinarily distant, extremely fast-moving, much bigger vehicles. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's and there's like a, only a few locations I know that you can actually perceive the the test facility and it's really far away and you know like some mountain and you have to get to the top of that mountain you can use a telescope and you can maybe see aircraft landing but for most of the area around area 51 it's a really high security military place that if you even set foot on it military folks are going to show up and and arrest you if you if you don't get off that that property and so you can just imagine yeah because that's how you keep spies out right you don't want to let spies come in and report on what's going on so you have to have high security but i think for a lot of people that security is so terrifying that it makes them feel like it's like it's must be something extraterrestrial in in origin that's being hidden there right well and and there's something about the desert that just conjures up all of the haunted town, the the there's there's something creepy about it. So you're out in this land of tumbleweeds and rattlesnakes with men patrolling with big guns, motion sensors everywhere. And this is also part of the country that that when the military bought up the Groom Lake facility, they had to buy up the local mining uh issues so there's old abandoned mines and it's just plays into the creativity of the terrified human mind uh from mine shafts to military men uh there's a few episodes of scooby-doo just waiting to be played out where everyone uh, imagines it's little green men and it's just a everyday occurrence and imagination taking the best of everyone so is there any idea, like, has, has NASA been involved at all in, in doing stuff out at Area 51? Uh, as far as I know, NASA hasn't. But you have to remember that there's a very fine line between the U.S. Air Force and its DOD projects and what NASA's been doing. Uh, there's currently two space planes that are taking turns uh, hitting endurance challenges. That's, that, those are DOD Air Force, not NASA. 
So when we look at space exploration, well, NASA's the civilian arm, but DOD and U.S. Air Force, they have their own branches of getting toward space. Yeah, I mean, I know people, we've mentioned this a couple of times, and I know we're going to have to do an episode on this, although although the episode will mostly be us scratching our head and going, I don't really know very much about it. There's a space plane, a military space plane, that's been in orbit for like 500 days now. Yeah. Did you it, know that, people? I, I, <laughs> right? I, it's, it's the X-37. Yeah. Uh, there, there's two of them. No one knows exactly why they're up there. Um, I can only survive survives i can only surmise that they're up there carrying something that we really want to bring back Mm -hmm. uh and and so you have to ask what experiments are they doing what data are they collecting that they don't want to send back using normal radio signals there's something nifty in orbit and the X-37 program is one that used to belong to NASA. Uh, I believe the number got switched when the Air Force took over it. But this was part of a plan that was originally put in place to head towards being able to launch humans into space in a much smaller configuration. And now it's long duration military craft. Yeah. Um, and I love, I mean, I, we talked about aliens as one of the possible conspiracy theories that's going on about, about Area 51. And I love some of the other the other ideas. I mean, people just let their imaginations oh, yeah. run wild, you know. People are, obviously people think that that's where, that's where the government stores the crashed alien, all the collected alien military stuff that's, uh, you know, that crashed at Roswell and other places like that. But that that's where the aliens come to have their secret meetings with, with, I guess the politicians and the and the government, uh, or that they've got strange exotic weaponry that they're testing there, or weather control systems, or. Hey, crazy... it's where the Stargate portal is, isn't it? That's where Star. <laughs> no, no, they're in the Cheyenne complex. Oh, you're in, right. Uh, they're at Norad. in Colorado. You're yeah, right. yeah, but I'm sure they often go back to Area Yeah, they they do. That's where there, they test their, their aircraft. Yeah. 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 So so then, do you know if there's like a lot going there now? Because I mean, the last no. really big development that came out of out of Area 51 was the whole uh, the B what the B two concern actually. Oh really? Yeah, so it, we don't really have a good place to store nuclear waste. And one of the the things that has been put forward is between the chemicals, the radioactive materials, uh, the this, that, and the other thing that isn't really good for human life, Area 51 is um, largely disused at the moment the the weekly flights in and out have pretty much gone away uh staffing is down to a much more skeleton level and this is simply because it's just not the healthiest place to be anymore and so i mean are they going to try and like what are they going to do with it well what should they do with it you have some place that's still top secret it's now a toxic place to keep somewhat secret. Uh, there's dioxins, there's uh, dibenzofurane, there's just all of these horribly evil, awful things out there. So 
sure, we could clean it up, but isn't it just better to the mythology of keeping people out to say dangerous chemicals, you will die if you come here? Whoa, uh, that's just part of the conspiracy theory. Well, considering that it was a bunch of university professors who who came forward to say, look, this this isn't a healthy place. We need to start thinking about this. I, I think the environmental concerns are, are quite valid. I, I just don't see a strong motivation to spend the millions of dollars to clean up someplace where you have to grant high secret military clearance to everyone involved in the cleanup process. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so do you, I mean, is it going to be eventually just disused? It's just going to be abandoned and locked away and then that'll be that? I think that depends on the international political scene. I, for for a long time, it looked like uh, our need to have some place to test extremely top secret aircraft was going away. Uh, we're quite happily using drones in the Middle East. Well, not happily, but it's it's safer for pilots to send in drones instead of humans. Um, but it's it's hard to know what's going to happen in the next few years as tensions do begin to rise in Europe again. Um, the the fact that we're getting kicked off the International Space Station in in 2020. It, it's I no longer know what the future brings a cup. Had we recorded this a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe a month ago, prior to the difficulties in the Ukraine, I'd be like, sure, it's going to get shut down. Uh, now I'm not so sure. And it's interesting now sort of we're transitioning to the to the drone age where in the olden days you had a great big you know, $200 million military aircraft flown by a pilot, great long distances, and and it was a very loud and messy affair. And and we're now moving to this place where more and more of these aircraft are just are drones of varying sizes. Some are as big as a jet plane, and others are, are really quite small. And the miniaturization is is going at, at breakneck speeds. And and you can kind of imagine this future where the surveillance, the um Surveillance, even a lot of the military operations are done by these smaller, more inexpensive, less complicated, less like Manhattan Project style research projects. And so they can be tested in smaller areas. You don't need to be so so public about it. Right? There's only so many places you can land a B-2, right? <laughs> While you can, you know, you can test out a a quadcopter with a with a gun on it in a fairly small space. So, so that's probably starting to just chest, change the dynamics of the battle. So it's a, it's a new era. It's a weird time. And, and we really don't know where the world's going to go next. And are we going to need suborbital military aircraft? Are we going to need some place to build the military version of spaceship too? And it's questions like that, that, make the future of some place like Area 51 more uh, open to question. So you're not saying that it's aliens, but it's, no. but it's aliens. Well, it's aliens from another country rather than another <laughs> world. Right, and their hardware. All right. Cool. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association. Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at info at astronomycast.com. 
tweet us at AstronomyCast, like us on Facebook, or circle us on Google+. We record our show live on Google+, every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you miss the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy AstronomyCast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. All donations are tax-deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson. <laughs>